Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, with your hosts, hosts, authors Keith Giles and Matthew J. DiStefano. Welcome back, everyone. We are here for uh, a real fun episode. We we teased last time that we're going to talk about suffering and the problem of evil and theodicy. Oh, yeah. So let's keep it light. Let's keep it hilarious. <laughs> Keith, yeah, how so, are you? Yeah, doing great. This will be all about sunshine and rainbows. This will be yeah. really just a lot of fun. We'll have a lot of laughs, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm doing oh. good. Yeah, doing good. Looking forward to this topic, um, <clears throat> which is funny to say because it's, it is a difficult one, but... Um, but definitely well, something that yeah. people ask about all the time. So it's, I know, well, I know people have this question. And I, I, uh, I try to respect where everyone's at, but unless an atheist is talking about the problem of suffering, I don't think they have a great argument right. um, for atheism. But so when it comes to this topic, you say this is fun, but this is the biggest challenge for those of us who believe in God yes. and every respectable atheist worth their salts and philo- philosophical and all that. Uh, here we are. Theodicy. This is, their, suffering. Yeah, this this is, is yeah, their go to. Uh, should argument. be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, we are going to have, I don't know, not a, we, we will have answers to the problem of suffering, but, but not the answer. But not, but not the because there is no the answer. It's no, like is. the absurd reality that we're faced with. So um, before we get into that fun, we do have hopefully some laughs. And like always, we have a wonderful sponsor. Yes. With with everything going on regarding book banning and grooming children and things that are yes. appropriate for our elementary school children. Um, you know, we have, we cannot talk about a child's sexual orientation or gender. That's right. Um, just in case they're not heteronormative and we don't want to even say those words. So we won't say them here on the podcast. Can't say um, it. Because no. in case DeSantis is listening, I don't want to offend. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we do have a wonderful book that we can put in the hands of children. And we yeah. have someone who's going to tell you all about it. Bring it on. This nation is in trouble, friends. We've taken the Bible out of the classroom and this has created confusion among our young people about godly marriage and sexuality. That's why we need your help to put Bibles into the hands of every child in America. When your five-year-old reads about Jacob marrying Rachel and her sister Leah, They'll understand the beauty of marriage from a biblical perspective. Or when your nine-year-old reads the story of how Noah's daughters got him drunk and had sex with him to get pregnant, they'll learn how important it is for women to bear children and start a family. Teenage boys who read the Song of Solomon will gain confidence when speaking to the opposite sex and learn how to compare the genitals of that girl they like in math class to ripe pomegranates or twin goats frolicking in the meadows of Lebanon. Teenage girls who read the thrilling story of J.L. in the book of Judges will build self-esteem when they hear how she drove a 12-inch tent spike through the forehead of King Jabin as he lay sleeping soundly in her tent. And every young person will learn to respect their elders when they read the story of how God sent bears to maul children to death for mocking an old bald man on the road. Yes, friends, the Bible is an essential guide for today's children to read as their tender young minds are developing a sense of right and wrong. 
Help us put one of these lovely books into the hands of every American child today by sending $299 to www.intothebible.com. And let's save America's young people with the Bible. Oh yeah, you, you know go. what? I'm so glad. Yeah, thank you, thank you for our sponsor. Uh, it's so important. I didn't, I didn't catch their name. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it was something it into, the Bible, into the Bible. Into the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's. Um, but let's in all seriousness, in. by the way, I did see the other day that there was some guy that did have a lawsuit where he was wanting to uh, have uh, to get the to get the Bible banned, uh, like from school libraries and stuff, because of because it contains stories about rape and incest and murder and genocide and uh, slavery, you know, pro-slavery and all that kind of stuff. So I saw, know? I saw a clip of uh, some sort of like online news person who goes to some of these like rallies and he was asking some state representative candidate about, about this topic about like books and what's appropriate for children and not. And so uh, what was funny is the, um, you know, the, the news person was, Asking him about these stories, I don't know exactly which one, but probably the Noah and the daughters one. Sure, yeah. But um, maybe the bear mauling some divine <laughs> uh, divine mauling. Um, but the guy knew he like picked up on where he was going with it right away. He's like, I know where you're going with this. But then he just stumbled through because he knew he was. You could see that he knew he was caught. Yep. Because he couldn't say. I mean, he was stuck, stuck between a rock right. and another fucking rock. He knew he couldn't <laughs> say. That yes, we need to get rid of this book because it's the Bible, and he's going to piss off his constituents, which are probably all Bible believing Christians. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's no winning. It's, it's but he couldn't say yet that's appropriate for children because it's like he knows those stories, so he knows they're not. Right. And he he just like it was. I, I felt low key embarrassed for him because you knew he was stuck and like oh this motherfucker's stuck. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've also seen video of like uh, people doing like uh, people on the street kind of gotcha interviews with you know just average people and they're yeah. saying like hey you know there's a book that that there's a group of people they're trying to push this onto children and to get children to read this book and it's a it, it has stories of incest where like daughters you know like have sex with their father and and they're like oh they, you know, these, these old women are like oh that's horrible oh no that's awful <laughs> like yeah you know and we we do you think that do you think children should be reading a book like that oh absolutely not yeah and he goes yeah that's the bible and you see their faces like, what? No, no, it's not. He's like, well, no, yeah. yeah. You know, Genesis, he gives them the he gives them the address. And yeah, it's like, uh, it's so, it's the truth though, right? I mean, when you, like when, we, when our boys were little, you know, we tried to read the Bible, like the just the real Bible to them. Like, let's just pull out the Bible and read Genesis to like, you know, bedtime stories for our kids. And pretty quick as a parent, if you do that, if you read the just the actual Bible stories to your child to your small children, you will very quickly realize that is an X-rated book. That if you made a movie of this book, uh, just like scene for scene, like just use the text and film what's in there, you, you would never let your children watch this thing, and you probably wouldn't feel comfortable watching it either because it is all about like rape and murder and incest and genocide yeah. and just horrible, horrible things. Like you know, like the whole thing about David. Uh, getting like a, what is it? A thousand foreskins or something ridiculous. So many foreskins. Yeah. It's like, really? Who wants to see that? <laughs> I've, I've thought, um, daddy, what's I've, a foreskin? Yeah. I thought about doing like an activity book 
where you, where you <laughs> like part coloring, part like like coloring by numbers oh, let's and do it. like like word search. Yes. Um, of just just like Phil, uh, Philistines, foreskins, you know, like uh, crossword <laughs> puzzles, all, all yes. sorts of shit like that. Oh, dude, you know what? We should do that. That would be, be so, so awesome yeah. to do. Yes, like a, a literal, uh, was it like a Bible literalist's children's activity book? Like, yes, exactly. That would be so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> see how many, see how many, uh, how many people you can name that got drowned in Noah's flood. Uh, exactly. Not that, they're, not that they're named, but uh, yeah. you know. How many, how many uh, children, how many babies were drowned by God in the flood? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A cut, a cut uh, by cut. Yeah. So the Bible is one answer to the problem of suffering. It's not a great one. So no. I'm hoping today we can um, give a, a, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where, most people who are thinking people have an I don't know answer. So I'll just come off the bat and say, I don't know. Like, I don't know I think, yeah. why. So the technical term for this is theodicy. How do you explain a good God who is powerful or all powerful, as some would say, in light of the amount of suffering or any suffering or evil that is prevalent in the world? So the, the term is theodicy. So that's this will be our theodicy. And Keith, I don't know if you want to bite the bullet and uh, jump off here? Well, <clears throat> yeah, it's a tough one. Boy, we're going to do this for a whole hour, huh? Wow. Okay. Um, all right. <clears throat> well, so let me say, yeah, typically the problem of suffering theodicy is, um, like you said, it's the atheist argument. It's like, yeah, like you said, if it's either that if if God is good and God is loving and if God is also uh, omnipotent, right? All powerful. Then why is there so much suffering in the world? And then the answer must be either God is not good, right? And but is all powerful. Right? But so God isn't really good. So that's why God just lets all kinds of horrible things happen. So i.e. Calvinism. Yes, there you go. Exactly. Or um, God is good, but not all powerful. So God is good, wishes God could do something about it, but can't because God doesn't have the power to do something about it. Um, Right or some combination of that, right? So God is either not good yeah. or not all powerful. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, David Bentley Hart has famously said that this is the most difficult question for. Well, he I think he said that for him, like when he's done yeah. debates with atheists, he said, "Yeah, this is the this is the one topic that really um, is is almost impossible to answer because, well, if you if you frame the argument that way, then well, yeah." Um, but I think it, you know, this is why and I think we alluded to this in the previous episode, like people like Thomas J. Ord and Mark Karras and others um, have at least tried to respond to that specific argument by by suggesting that, no, God really is good and God really is love. But if we define love as not being coercive, then then God is, isn't coercive. So. This is the reason why God, quote unquote, allows, although yeah. they don't like that phrase. I mean, they, I think they would say it's not that it's wrong to say God allows evil because that implies that God could do something about it, but doesn't. Yeah. Um, so th it's not that God allows anything. It's that, that because God is love, because the definition of love is not coercive by definition, being love, love can't 
do anything. Yeah. That's why Thomas J. Ord's book is God Can't. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, so the issue I have with that, and I'll just, you know, that yeah. I, I, first off, I will concede that that is a much better yes. understanding of things than uh, Calvinism or the God allows thing. Yes. Um, uh, I don't like, I don't like the, though it's true, God can work all things toward good. I think that's, uh, I'm, I'm okay with that statement. Sure. I don't like that as an explanation because it doesn't yeah. really help the situation. Um, but that being said, I disagree that love can't coerce. And I'll give you an example. If my daughter runs into the street, even though she's 11 and has some sort of autonomy and agency at 11 rather than three, you know, as kids develop, they become more of their own, you know, individuals, so to speak. But if she happens to not notice a car running in the street, I will coerce the fuck out of her <laughs> to stop her and save her life. And I would say that is a loving thing to do. Exactly. So that's where I have a bit of a disconnect in that I would agree that for the most part, love doesn't coerce. But I can come up with certainly some instances where I would say, yeah, love does coerce in a way. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on what we mean by coerce. I will physically manipulate someone's body in order to for for an ultimate good i believe like right like moving a kid out of traffic if they run in the street or right uh if if there are if there's someone you know trying to stab someone i i will restrain them you know i worked in group homes where i put hands on kids all the time to prevent fights and like people getting hurt and yeah i would say that's a yeah our our uh our our, our uh, modality was therapeutic and loving and and you know, compassionate, and so I would be curious. Yeah, we don't have we don't have Thomas or, or or Mark on the show, but I'd be curious as to what they would say to that. So I have had some dialogue with both of them about this, and uh, from what I remember, and please forgive me, Mark and Tom, if I'm misrepresenting you, but um, why? And it may be only one of them, one or the other, because I don't want to say that they're both exactly on the same page. I know there right. are some, or Curtis some, holes in as well. I believe is in yeah, that camp. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So, so they're like even that. even with amongst themselves, they don't they don't always agree on everything. Sure. But sure. I think in general, at least I've, I've heard at least one of them express in response to that kind of an argument um, that one of the reasons that God quote unquote can't do something it's not just that God's nature precludes God from a sort of like interrupting free will in that, in that sense of the definition of coercion. But the other reason why God quote unquote can't physically restrain somebody from murdering someone or raping someone or killing someone or doing some horrible thing is that God is a spirit and doesn't have hands and or feet. In other words, <laughs> that literally, no, no, but literally God physically cannot physically interact with the physical world because God isn't physical. God has no hands. Yeah, feet. Like, right. you know, what, in other words, what methodology, what power, what, what, what um, would be the mechanism behind any coercion that God could do to, to, uh, you know, interrupt somebody's free choice to do something bad. Um, now, so, so then they would say that what they would argue is that back to this idea that, you know, Christ has no body now but yours. And so the will of God to do good, to prevent evil, now that could be expressed in collaboration with some with a, with a human being. So a human being could 
you know, be in tune with the will and the heart of God, which is love, and in a situation, be aware of some evil. And yes, then now they can restrain the person. They can jump in the way or they can pull the, the child out of the street or stop somebody from, you know, attacking someone. But God, quote unquote, God can only intervene in, in as much as we intervene. So, mm. uh, and then now that, that answer also is very close to what even some, let's say, atheists or agnostics that I know, Jim Palmer would be an example. Jim Palmer would say the same thing, but he, he would say it in the sense that um, God is not separate from us, you know, right. and it's, he's getting at the same idea, but he's just, he's expressing a different idea. So his idea would be, um, in fact, we had this exact conversation. We were in Nashville uh, at, a, at the Awaken conference. Somebody asked him this question, like, why doesn't God, why does God allow the war in Ukraine? Why doesn't God right. allow, why does God allow suffering? And he right. said, when you ask a question like that, that is automatically assuming a separation between God and mankind. You say that as if human beings are down here on earth, we're experiencing a lot of suffering, and now we're looking up to God and saying, God, hey, over there, wherever you are, God, why don't you come down here and fix this? But that's separation. You're assuming God is somewhere else versus the idea that, no, Christ is in everyone. And so who are you complaining to? When you say, God, why don't you do something? Where is God? Well, God is within you. So if you want to complain, you can complain, but the question should be direct, directed at yourself in the sense, or, or in, in humanity. Like, why do we allow suffering? Why why aren't we? Why is why is the Christ in us, in humanity, allowing these bad things to happen? Um, which I think I, is another I, way to look at it. I like the direction that that's going. I'm not sure that it... I, I think it helps with, I, it helps describe the examples you just gave, the war in Ukraine yeah. or someone assaulting someone. Yeah. I understand how their definition of free will might fit into that, though I don't, I think I would have a different definition of free will. I'd be more along the lines of Talbot and yeah. Bentley Hart and all them. And I think, yeah, I think, I think Ord and Karis might be more along the lines and I'm just guessing of Greg Boyd and, and the libertarian free will uh, understanding. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how that helps with natural evil or so-called natural evil. The kid who gets cancer or the things of that nature, like, you know, a brain eating parasite getting into a three month old and killing it. Yes. Like that. We can't stop that except through science and over time learning how to but i don't even think we'll ever get to a place where we can stop all suffering even the the so-called natural suffering suffering so i'd yeah. be curious on how they answer that i think I, I i like the direction that that those folks would go yeah um because i'm to a place now where i don't i don't even see god as like that which has a personality i see god as simply like the pure potential in which all things are. So I'm more like panentheism. So I'm more like you. Yeah. Stop asking for some dude that doesn't exist, quote unquote, to do something yes. because God doesn't exist in that way. You and I are exist and we are the only representation of God that we see in the world right. and add infinitum to everything that exists. Right. So, um, yes. so let's get off our ass and do something. Yes. No, I totally agree with that. Um, now, so this this maybe takes it to a different level. 
and I apologize if I have said something like this before, but again, I'm getting old, you know, old man. man. (laughs) But, um, but see, I had a similar, I had my own sort of personal existential crisis along these lines when I was watching this Netflix documentary called my octopus teacher. If you haven't seen that, you should watch that listeners. It's really, really great. You should watch it. But, um, so it's a documentary about this guy. He was like a documentary filmmaker and he kind of goes through a personal crisis and he kind of takes some time off and he happens to live off the coast of Africa near the ocean. So every day he takes his camera and he goes diving and he sort of accidentally makes friends with a, a particular octopus that lives right there. And every day that he goes to dive, he encounters the octopus and the he and the octopus have some pretty amazing interactions. And um, But then there's a part of the documentary where as he's filming this octopus, which he has now sort of developed a, almost a relationship with and a connection, and, and, and you as the viewer have too, uh, all of a sudden there's a, these sharks, this one particular shark is like chasing this thing, chasing the octopus, and it's trying to get away, and, and, um, and he just films this. He just, he just stands back. He doesn't chase the shark away. He just sits there and films to see what's going to happen. And I'm watching this on the one hand thinking, you asshole. Like, how could you just let this shark eat this octopus, which you have have a connection with, right? Because I'm connected. I have an emotional attachment to this octopus. Like, I wouldn't want this to happen, but he doesn't do anything. And, um, you know, spoiler, the octopus doesn't die, Uh, but it loses a limb or something. It actually does, like, you get bitten and it loses a limb or something. Um, He's got eight, so he's fine. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. But... But at the same time, then later on, there's a scene where the octopus, it, get, it heals, it gets better, and blah, blah, blah. And then, then he follows it, and it, like, will catch capture, uh, like, crab, these crabs and stuff, and eat them. Or it would capture, um, you know, these other kind of a- animals that it captures and eats. And then I was realizing, like, huh, you know, I'm not, like, upset. About, I'm not, like, hey, don't hurt that poor crab. But... You know, because not because like the octopus is sort of the hero. Anyway, my point is, as I'm watching this documentary, is like nature is really cruel. You know, yeah. like th- this is this is you know the circle of life. Like, um, so as I'm watching this, I'm watching these animals that have to eat other animals to survive, to feed their young, to and to perpetuate their species. And I see a lot of this as you know, quote unquote, evil. I'm just like this is awful. Like why do killer whales have to eat baby seals? Why do, you know, why do baby, why why do tigers have to hunt and kill baby gazelles, you know, to feed their cubs and stuff like that? This is, so anyway, so I look at this and I think, wow, why is nature so evil, quote unquote evil or cruel? But it's me, I'm imposing evil onto those things. Whereas to the animal, that's just Tuesday. You know, that's, what are you talking about? This is just, the way things are. And so, um, so I think on one level, there's also a level of just recognizing that the world, you know, is about living and suffering and dying. Like that's, it doesn't matter what you are. You could be a snail, you could be a mouse, you could be an octopus, you could be a giraffe. Um, whether you're at the top of the food chain or somewhere in the middle or at the bottom, you are going to suffer. And you're going to be killed or eaten or hunted or die or suffer loss. Something you love is going to die. Someone you care about is going to die or get hurt. Like this just is reality. 
And so I wonder in some ways, like when we ask this question, why is there so much suffering in the world? And, and typically what we mean is human suffering, like you said, cancer, right? The, that, but it's like, but, but widen your focus and notice that this is how the entire universe operates. Like this is how, this is life on planet earth across species. They're, they're suffering. Um, so I just wonder at what, and again, I, I, aren't human beings the only, but I, 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 in other words, I can't imagine that, that tigers are having this conversation like, man, why is there so much suffering in the world? Or, or even, you know, um, that any, any other animal would have this kind of concern about, man, this, this is just a lot of evil in the world. Humans do. We're, we're the ones who, who, I guess it's the whole like, um, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We're, we're the ones judging where this is good or this is bad or this is right or this is wrong. Um, it seems like no other species on planet Earth uh, makes those sorts of judgments. We do. And so I guess what I'm saying is, is it evil? Or is it just this is our perception that it's not, it shouldn't be this way, that it could be or should be a, a different way? Well, I think we all recognize that it could be and should be a different way. I mean, at least that's the traditional um, Christian message of a restored earth, right? The uh, before before eschatology got corrupted by evangelicalism, like N.T. Wright, his approach to a, 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 a collision of heaven and earth, where I think most Christians would argue there will be a time of no suffering. But that's not just a Christian message. I think that's also a Buddhist message. The Four Noble Truths ends with the fact that there is an end of suffering. Um, so, I mean, we we all seem to envision a time and place where suffering won't occur. But then again, maybe... Um, but is that wishful thinking? <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, it might be wishful thinking of, of that. But, but then it gets to, it kind of raises the question is... Is the idea of heaven wishful thinking? Right. Or or is the idea of heaven as a place where all suffering ends rea- realistic? I, I, I mean, but we could definitely take, this takes us in so many other directions we could to ponder, you know, like, because I guess I don't know that I believe, I mean, I, I used to, like you just said, like, Oh, the lion will lie down with the lamb. And right. Then what is the lion eating? <laughs> right. Lambs. I know that's the whole point. I mean, that, that, exactly, that metaphor is intended to say that the entire, you know, every living thing on this planet will experience this shift from suffering and quote unquote evil, one thing killing and eating another innocent, you know, thing to survive. Like all of that will one day change and it will not be that way anymore. But okay, so again, maybe it's wishful thinking or not, but I guess the question is like, I guess it takes us back to the beginning. If that's possible, then why don't we have that world now? Like, why didn't God just make it that way in the first place? And then, then you get into the whole bullshit. I know that we, it's because Eve ate that fruit or whatever. Like, yeah. I don't know. And, 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 I, and I think we're asking a question that, I mean, to ask the question of what other way could, I mean, that, that's highly speculative. You know, it's know. like, it's, 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 it's very rhetorical and un, almost unanswerable. However, I will say that, my personal belief is that God doesn't know everything until God experiences something. So right. there's the idea of tacit knowledge, uh, like a 
you have to have firsthand knowledge of something to actually know it. Right. And we know this as human beings. Keith, if you if you read a book on bi- bicycle riding, you can't say I know how to ride a bike until you ride a bike, right? Exactly. So if God, God has to experience suffering God's self in order to forgive it on one hand, you know, in order to be gracious toward those who cause suffering. And until that happens, God cannot say that God knows what it's like to suffer. So I think that can be an, an answer in, into why um, it's like for those of us who kind of see the universe as like uh, all of our experiences, collective consciousness is like God experiencing the universe in an infinite amount of ways. That's going to include the need for forgiveness and repentance and 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 grace and mercy. And with those things, suffering is presupposed in all of those concepts. Yes. Suffering is presupposed and death is presupposed, right? The, um, sure. You know, it's that whole idea. Death is sort of separate from suffering, although the, the end result of most suffering is eventually death, of course. But um, again, to imagine, this is also part of the Christian story, right? That death will, there'll be no more death, right? Death will be no right. more. But then that becomes like, well, that just seems ridiculous. So, okay, so if the idea of death is eliminated, nothing ever dies. So do you know that if death could be eliminated, that within probably 20 years, every human being would look like a giant sort of like, you'd look like the thing from the Fantastic Four. Because the skin cells on your body which die and fall off probably every couple of days, well, they wouldn't die. Those cells would never die because death is abolished. So slowly skin cells would build up on your body to the point where your skin would be like, you know, two feet thick. It'd be, it'd be hard to breathe and eat. It would be ridiculous. So in other words, like in some ways, it's a little ridiculous to say that we are at, we are headed towards a future where there is no death because then well, then I guess well, we're I mean, like, no more birth either, because if right. nothing ever died, then the planet would be overtaken again. Would, also, I don't even know. I'm not an ecologist, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, a forest can't exist without death. I exactly. Mean, you know, um, I mean, I can't. I'm a garden, so I compost. Like that's death. Exactly. And that, and I need it because then my plants need. I need it for my plants to be healthy next year, right. right? When I add compost into the. So there's no life without death. There's no. There is no joy without suffering. So, um, it's it's kind of weird, right, to get to this place of saying like we only like all these good things, but we don't want any of these bad things. We want we we and we're actually angry at God for not creating a universe that was all good and that there was nothing that we don't like. But that just seems like even scientifically impossible. Like that isn't, I don't think that's possible. Uh, at almost every level, cells all the way up to plants and animals. And yeah. If there isn't death, there is no room for the rest of life. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So I, so I think that helps on one level. I'll also say that Perhaps consciousness, however, doesn't need the life and death cycle. Right. Um, because it seems like, at least the way I understand it, consciousness is 
like the um, the unmoved mover. Exactly. Uh, so I don't know if that necessarily, you know, because I see God as like pure consciousness and you know, like right. through us. And, and um, I, I think that there could be something to the fact that that doesn't go through the death and birth recycle. But it seems that everything that is material in some way, and I don't say purely material because I'm not a naturalist and, right. uh, you know, or materialist, materialist I should say. Right. Yeah. Um, but the consciousness itself, I can only speculate because I, I, unless I've been reincarnated, I haven't died yet. <laughs> right. Um, as far as you know, but, as far as you remember. As far as I know, I, I, I don't know if I have any reason to believe my consciousness doesn't continue. Right. Yeah. Um, so maybe in one way, this idea that we, you know, in our spiritual um, and religious terminology, we express this idea that a day is coming, a time is coming when all things will be made new, when death will be no more, um, when there will be no more suffering. We're not talking about this physical universe that's going to be remade into that kind of a place, um, but that our consciousness will eventually pass from this place to another place where outside of the physical material world where the consciousness continues to exist, but exists in a, in a place or in, in a form without a body uh, where, where those things are meaningless, that there is no suffering anymore because I have no body to suffer, to feel any pain. But then, right? Okay. But then, then on the flip side, the flip side of that is pleasure and bliss because certainly like I get a lot of pleasure from my body. Um, yes. And not just, no, I was going to make a joke, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think but you know I what I mean? Like, like I need my body to taste good food and to, to, right. to smell uh, a flower, to, but, but to, to have be, sex, to, yeah, yeah, to, but, to enjoy uh, an old fashioned. Yeah. But those are things that those are, those are, that's bliss and joy and pleasure that we experience through our physical bodies, but it doesn't preclude that without a body, we couldn't ex have ecstatic experiences of joy or bliss apart from a physical body. Like I, and I just come to this as a, and I know this again takes us to another, another discussion maybe, but you know, when you, um, when you listen to people who uh, share near death experiences, right. Right. What they all have in common is that they they experienced what they describe as this intense feeling of love and peace that's so intense they can't even describe it. They've never, ever in their physical bodies ever experienced anything like this level of love and peace and joy. And so those are at least that I that could qualify as bliss. And technically that's something they're experiencing outside of their physical bodies. Assuming that's real. Assuming that's real, yeah, I would I would ask how one orgasms without a physical body. Well, no, you can't. Uh, I mean, you won't have an orgasm. You won't get to taste a steak. You won't get to. Then I'm go saying surfing. My... Okay, but then you would okay. Have so other feelings of joy that are more intense than even what you would have in a physical body. Okay, but I would I would say then it's kind of incomplete though. Um, probably. Well, in one on one level, it is incomplete, but um. But maybe on another level, it, it's better. But we can't. We're speaking of something that we don't know of. Like of course, we're yeah. theorizing, right? Right. And based on very spotty, uh, spurious 
testimony and evidence. Maybe true. All, theolo- not true. all theology is fan fiction. It's okay. That's exactly right. Yes. So here's another angle to take with this. I don't know if this is fair to say, but I was, as we were thinking about, you know, we were planning to have this conversation. I just thought of like how interesting it would be if we would just flip that question around. Like, why is there suffering in the world? What if instead we asked, why is there good in the world? Why is there joy? Why is there? I I was going to bring that up. I was literally going to say that. Why is there beauty? Why is there beauty in the world? And that to me is an even better question. And and, and an equally existential question. Because again, if we look at the universe as it is, right? The animal kingdom and everything else. Man, it's cruel. Man, there's evil. Man, it's like, you know literally one one species eating and devouring another species and, and and just mercilessly and cruel you know like i've seen videos of chimpanzees um capturing and killing little infant gorilla babies and mm-hmm. and have no remorse just think oh that was great and you're like oh that's so evil that's so awful and so in that in in that kind of world in that kind of like this is the universe we live in like we said yet there's there's Mozart, there's Bach, there's Picasso, there's, you know, there's beauty. There's, right. there's, there is one, there's, so like that seems to be the anomaly on one level. Like that's what we should be saying. Why is that here? How did this right. show up? In yeah. This and I, th- I think it's the equally perplexing question for atheists. Like as difficult as the problem of suffering is for anyone who believes in some sort of God. Yeah. Like, why do we find so much beauty and awe in a sunset with our feet in the sand, yeah. sipping on a pina colada, <laughs> getting a back rub? Like, you know, I mean, like, yes, that. And I know, like, I know atheists will have answers to that. Sure. I know they will. But again, it's like the it, to me, it's like it's the level of answers that we're giving for suffering. Like, it's exactly. not the answer. It's a answer or it's a group of answers. But I, I, you know, and I've heard atheists say answers to those questions. Why is there beauty? Um, what do they say? And I'm not. Oh, they just give the kind of answers, you know, of, of neural pathways and sure. and all those things, and they come at it from a materialistic standpoint. Right. But to me, it's like okay, but it's not hitting. Like it's not explaining what I'm experiencing. Right. It's, it's, exp- well, I mean, it's, or maybe it's explaining what I'm experiencing, but it's not explaining why I find meaning and value in, in that. Well, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a fully satisfactory answer to what I experience, even if it's describing the chemical processes. Right. No, you're right. No, I see. I, I can, I can hear atheists saying that, yes, it's a, a release of endorphins in your brain or. Which it, is all true. All those yes, are true things. Yes, those, those are true. Yes. Or. You know, well, why do I why do I find this poem or this song or this movie or whatever this art so moving and so meaningful and so beautiful? Well, because your brain has been conditioned to Correct. to find pleasure in these visual colors or shapes or images or sounds. These sounds are you know release some kind of pleasure in in your brain when these certain notes come together in certain harmonies, and and that's why. Um, so, and again, there, there, that's like you said, that's an answer, but it really isn't uh, the answer because, I mean, you still aren't explaining uh, this. I apologize because this, this just, we could really just go down this rabbit hole so deep, but even like, as far as like the human brain and the way we process the, the world around us, right? 
So the way we so we have these eyes, but our eyes can only see a very narrow range of light, right? There's way more light than we can perceive. Uh, and yeah. our ears can only hear a very narrow range of sound. Like they're right now, our, our frequency is going on higher than we can hear and lower than we can perceive, but they're there. So we don't even fully re- experience reality as it actually is. We're still, our brains are experiencing a very, very uh, curated you mm. know, version of the reality that is right. that around us. And yet even in that, Man, there's just that you cannot deny there is beauty, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, I think the problem of beauty might be as big as big a problem for atheists as suffering is for Christians. That'd be a great title for a book: the problem of beauty. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I gotta write that down. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great no, problem. Da- David Bentley Hart needs to write it, though. <laughs> exactly, he would be the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I probably couldn't my hands around my arms around it the way he could. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. It seems. Um, so, like, like we said at the beginning, we we knew we weren't going to be able to to just definitively have an answer, the answer, I guess. But I, I think it definitely is something. It's worth considering. It's worth asking yourself these kinds of questions. Um, but to me, it's the ultimate. It's the mystery, right? This goes back to this idea of like. Well, we have some ideas, but in the end, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. this is the closest I can get to maybe it's this and maybe it's that. Like you were saying, I, I, I prefer Thomas J. Ward and Mark Harris's answer, although I still, I, I still have my problems with it. But I think it's like you said, better than, it's better than the answers we've had up to this point. Well, and I think we're going to have problems with every answer, and so right. to be to be fair to them, like. And they would probably acknowledge the fact that this is one of those issues where there's always going to be some sort of um, it. There's no explanatory nature to some shit that just happens. And sometimes ultimately having a humble approach and being able to say, I don't know, like, if if Christians could just do that, like, don't give me your Calvinistic or, you know, <laughs> don't give me this. Well, it's just this simple. Well, can't violate free will. I mean, it, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's not really, I mean, it's like sometimes we just have so many off the cuff answers that are just so flippant and backhanded. It's like, well, that doesn't really satisfy. And, right. you know, just maybe have some humility and say, Sometimes just bad shit happens to people. Exactly. You know, and that's just the way it is. We can't really, because I'll be honest, like if God has a personality and I get to talk to God, I will have my questions. Of course. You know, you know, of so of course, I don't know if I believe in that kind of God any longer that even has a personality to talk to. So maybe I won't be asking anyone. Maybe I should just ask myself and, <laughs> and I'll go, I don't know, man. And I go, okay, well, I yeah. guess we're in this together. Right. I mean, would um, I've not I've not listened to a whole bunch of his stuff, but I uh, it seems to me like someone like Alan Watts um, would probably say that like this this earthly experience we're having at right now in our physical bodies doesn't he say something about how like we're just God in disguise or we're we're God playing a game or yeah a I think part? like 
Yeah, there's, there's, I think there's some sort of analogy where, yeah, it's like God's playing a game of hide and seek with himself. Or yes, something. yes. And so I think, I think he would probably say something like, yeah, there's suffering in the world, but we've all sort of agreed that this is a, like we've sort of set up um, God, whatever God is, has sort mm-hmm. of set up this kind of reality where we each get to sort of play a role and live a life. And, you know, I'm going to be an airline pilot and I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to do a podcast. And, and we just, we do these things to have these, to experience, like you said, God doesn't know anything until God, until anyone experiences suffering and pain and joy and, and all these kind of things. And so God has sort of created life as a way to experience all these different things. And that would mean both the good and the bad, right? Not just the good. God, it has, we haven't constructed a reality that's so artificial and uh, fake, right? That nothing bad ever happens. Nothing will ever go wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. We Like, you don't want to see a movie like that. Like, who wants to pay money to go see a movie where, nope, nothing ever bad happens. There's no bad guy. There's no good guy. Nothing. No one's in any danger. There's no fight scenes. There's no rescue. There's no danger. There's no like, oh, something bad's going to happen. No, nothing bad's going to happen. And we're just going to sit here for the whole movie and just watch waves. And I made, yeah, and I made the, uh, <laughs> in, in one of the books that I wrote with Mike, I made the analogy of like, like if Frodo and Sam were never forced to go to Mordor, it might be a charming film about hobbits who garden, but it wouldn't be Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and nobody would watch a, uh, yeah, a four hour no. movie about right. some hobbits gardening and smoking pot. I mean, I might, but <laughs> but not everyone else. It's not gonna be a blockbuster. Um, what if though? What if um, and this is deemed heresy because of origin? It's part of originism, I believe. Uh, the pre-existence of the soul. Yes. And what if we all were floating around in this ethereal space, and we agreed to this shit, and it was like, yeah, it's gonna be a shit show. Some of y'all are gonna kill each other. Some of y'all are gonna do some horrible shit. <laughs> But, but it's gonna be so much but, fun. <laughs> but yeah, you're gonna learn something, and you're not gonna know. It's like some, it's like some sort of dream state that's gonna seem super real. Trust me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're like, yeah, I want to, I want to experience that once or twice or reincarnation, maybe ten times. Yeah, exactly. But you signed up for this shit, so and it's gonna be yeah. confusing as fuck, and it's gonna get messy. But you might learn something. You're gonna grow. You're gonna learn what it's like to forgive. You're gonna learn what it's like to love, yeah. in spite of, you know, harsh circumstances and trauma and all this. And we're exactly. like, okay, okay, I'll take, I'll take a chance on that. Yeah, and I mean, poof, here we are. Yeah, and is this like a maybe a third option for how uh, putting our arms around this? I mean, I think that's possible. I think I'm even okay with that in some ways. Like, this is the universe slash God slash Christ or whatever, um, learning and growing and experiencing everything, all, you know, every possible thing. Um, the truly awe-inspiring and the truly fucked up. Yeah. And everything in between. Yeah. The full spectrum of everything. Um, and who knows, then maybe at some point in, in the future, um, this experiment, play, act, whatever we're going through, um, whatever needs to be learned or experienced by God slash Christ slash universe slash source finally just goes, yeah, okay, yeah, I got it. Okay, good. And then 
and then then all this goes away, all the suffering goes away, and we end up in some a, a radically different universe where whatever needed to be learned or understood or experienced is reaches some I don't know some cathartic uh, place where there is no more death and there is no more suffering. I don't know. None of us know. May, yeah, but but I think that's sort of similar to the Hindu cosmology of the wheel of samsara. At some point, you jump off the wheel, and yeah. and then I think you are merged with God or whatever. But I don't know if I like that language exactly either, because I mean, where's the separation between God and myself now? Right. I, right. I, you know. So. Well, it's an illusion, um, right? It's it's the illusion of yeah. and again that that illusion of separation is part of the um. Because again, if all of us are God, we, but we're each piece, each one of us is sort of pretending to be a separate being from everybody else. But ultimately, there's that realization of, but no, that's an illusion. There is no separation from you or me or anything else. Uh, we're all still God, that, that panentheistic idea where, so maybe the separation that we experience or that we sort of perceive is is just part of that same you know, story or play or movie that we're all acting out. I don't know. Man, if it's a movie or a story or something, it seems like there's a lot of extras. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are y'all well, doing we, out there, man? Yeah, well, see, we all think we're the star of the movie, right? Well, uh, this is yeah, my movie. Was, and that's you're, true. You're, you're a supporting actor in my film, Matt, but, but you're the star of your film and I'm just a supporting character in your story. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm the star, but like... Oh, come on. I get my name in the credits somewhere. Yeah, you're at least a hand solo, too. I got I got I got it. Yeah, I got a name. I'm not just like guy on street three. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like there's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of those guys, probably. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Yeah, who knows, man? I don't know. It, 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 <laughs> I guess this it's so hard to talk about this topic without kind of like chasing down so many other little possible things, so. Oh, there's so many rabbit holes because uh, like I wanted to go like, well, what if it's just all a simulation? You know, it's like yes. uh, or a dream and like it's yeah. all, and, and, and you can't disprove it. So it's almost a meaningless conversation. Like you can never prove to me that I'm not in a simulation. Right. Yeah. You know? I can't prove I'm not. My brain is actually not in a in a vat somewhere <laughs> being hooked up right. to some electrodes because uh, how would it be any different than what I'm experiencing now? I mean, I, I well, see, it's that. a, see, to me, it's a moot, it's a moot question because it's like, well, but I'm still experiencing something real in this first person thing. So it, it's right. kind of what I like, so what if that's the metaphysical reality that doesn't change the fact that I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing? Yes, exactly. You really are experiencing something. You're just not, I'm not sure the nature of it. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't be 100%. I have to take it on faith that you actually exist <laughs> right because because you cannot you cannot prove to me that you exist like yeah, it could just true. be it could just be a sim it could be a simulation you're just a figment of my imagination everything is right but so i have to take it on faith that when you say no really matt i'm telling you and i have to say well yeah that's exactly what someone would say who doesn't exist <laughs> you know <laughs> i have to take it on i do have to take it on faith so checkmate atheists yes um i you have to take it on faith that the other person actually exists right and you're fairly it's a weird sure thing you to... exist. Uh, like I, I'm pretty sure I exist. But yeah, everything, everything I'm seeing and hearing and experiencing and touching and smelling and everything else, it's all through again 
my brain is locked in this bone cage of my behind right. my skull. And other than these impulses that it picks up through these, again, very limited organs that are only hearing a little range of sound and only seeing a very narrow range of light and only feeling very simple, you know, heat and pressure and, and, and texture through my, my nerve endings and smelling, you know, certain things. I'm still guessing what all that is. And I think it's this, yeah. and I think it's that, but it could be, right. I don't know. How do I know? Yeah. Mike and I were having some stoner thoughts the other day. Like <laughs> we, uh, we planted our garden um, for the first time, like a full garden since the fire took out everything. And we we're just looking at one of the fruit trees that we planted. And I was like, dude, you can't even, you can't even be sure where that tree is. Like you, you can only describe it in relation to other trees in relation That's to right. your proof. But even if you like close one eye and then close the other eye, it's in a different location according to your perspective. That's right. Which is just my, it's like trippy. And and then you realize, yeah, you're only picking up the smallest sliver of light, the yep. smallest sliver of sound it might be putting off in the wind. Um, you know, even my daughter, like we do these things on YouTube where I can't like, because I played music and shit, Yes, the range of yeah. my hearing is very diminished. Like yeah. she'll hear, she'll put up her hand, boom, I can hear yes. that. And I'm like, I don't hear it for like the next, the, like six different sounds until it's like a fairly low sound where. That's right. That's right. So we do not, uh, our perspective is so narrow and limited. That's exactly right. Yes. Even on, even on things. I mean, if you said, where's that tree? I'm like, well, it's 50 <laughs> feet over there. But where is it in the universe? You can only describe <laughs> it in relation to other things. That's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I was doing some some research for one of my books about that that exact thing, and it was saying it was talking about how that yeah, you it's hard to say, like you said, uh, you, how are they, how are they saying it? It was something like, um, you can only measure yeah, the 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 existence of of something within space in relation to another point, and yeah. if you don't have another point, it's you have nothing. And, um, and I think it was also uh, velocity or, you know, if, if they're moving away from each other or towards each other or somehow in relation to each other. But if, if you have one single, that was what it was. It was saying if, they, if you just have one single object and, there, and you have no other objects, you can't tell if that object is flying at the speed of light. <laughs> if it's flying forwards or backwards right. or left or right. right. You have, because you have, it's just a point. And until you right. get another point of reference... And then I can see, oh, it's traveling really fast away from or towards or next to that other point. But without that point, you got nothing. You have no velocity, no speed, no, no, no point in space for that, for that particular object. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy universe, man. It is. It is. It's nuts. Somebody should sell tickets. To what? To this crazy show. Maybe there's yeah. aliens just watching us. They're just, just watching and having out. a great time like these idiots. These fucking morons. Look at these, <laughs> look at these apes. <laughs> it's like the greatest reality show. They're just like, man, have you seen those guys? Oh, That's my theory on why they haven't shown up. They're just like, they're there. <laughs> but they're like, these these people are living in the past, man. They're still throwing their shit at each other. That's exactly like, right. You, you want to get down in there? Nah, I'm good. That's exactly right. Yeah, I don't think we have graduated enough. No, we're like an we're a we're a old school petri dish right now. <laughs> That's yeah. 
That's right. Yeah, I was I was uh, I'm teaching this class on on this film director Tarkovsky, and one of his films, uh, it's called Solaris. One of the characters makes a comment about space travel, and says that um, he and I think it's a really good observation. He says humanity, like when we go out into space and we're looking for life and all this stuff, he's like, you know, we're not really looking for alien life. We're not looking for what's out there. We just want to extend Earth's boundaries outward. We're actually looking for 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 stuff that basically validates our own humanity, our own existence. If anything, we're looking for at a mirror. We're looking for a mirror to reflect back to us our own selves. Mm. Um, and I thought, oh, that is so good. I think that's really true. Um, we're not really ready for something completely different because then that might challenge our our own ideas of ourselves. We think we're pretty tough. We think we're pretty awesome. And so if we encountered other life forms that made us realize, yeah, we're not that great. We're kind of dumb. You know, we don't want that. We want something to validate. That, yeah, yeah, we're pretty smart. We're pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't think we are, though. No, we're definitely not. I mean, we are in one way. But I think we're also... yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, but we're just like, I don't know. We're still we're like, killing each other over nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. the shit that we fight about, like, it doesn't even make sense when you think about it. Like, no. like you're, you're bombing them because of what? Like that's right. the dumbest. If you really think about it, like no, it's the I dumbest know. shit I've ever heard of. No, war. War is the stupidest thing, really. I think if we could ever, as a, it's as a species, ridiculous. Yeah, it's like okay, so here's what we're gonna do. That we have this. We have this disagreement. So here's the, here's how we're gonna solve the disagreement. Um, I'm gonna kill your kids, and you're gonna kill my kids until one of us says, "Okay, okay, okay, stop, stop, stop," and then the then then the other one wins. Really? That's the best way you can think of to solve problems? And we've been doing this for hundreds of years. It's just so, it's so dumb. Like, you're going to, like Putin right now. I don't want to use yeah. him as a scapegoat, but let, let me scapegoat him for a second. <laughs> you don't think like, I mean, Putin is just basically one of those next guys who does this stupid shit. Then he dies. And then in a in 100 years, we look back and be like, oh, he was just one of those murderous cunts. You know, yeah. so it's like, like, yeah. that's it. That's your life in the history yeah. books. You're just a murderous asshole. That's, that's your legacy. That's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's just the dumbest stuff to, to worry. Like, yeah, eventually you're going to die and you're just going to be looked at as a douchebag. Right. Yeah, all, for all then, of history. <laughs> so this reminds me of this beautiful, um, I just encourage people to go and watch it. Uh, there, you can, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, if you just go to YouTube and you search Carl Sagan, pale blue dot. Oh um, yeah, of course. Have you heard that? Oh, oh yeah. So beautiful. Yeah, and, it's and, and it's this beautiful thing where he says, there's a part in there where he says, you know, look at this little, cause it's, it's like looking at earth from far, far away in space. Right. And we're just this little blue dot against all these other just endless sea of stars. Right. Yeah. And he says, you know, look at this little pale blue dot. That's us. That's our planet. And he goes, and now just imagine how many, Gal, you know, hundreds of millions of gallons of blood have been spilled. How many millions of people have been slaughtered so that one guy could control a tiny, a few acres of land on that little dot, right? Yeah. Who, who killed each other over my God is bigger than your God. Or like, it's like, oh my gosh, it's, 
it, when you look at it from that perspective, it is like, oh, what are we doing? It's so stupid. Yeah. It's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so that's what I'm saying. We're not like I know we're post enlightenment, which is kind of a <laughs> misnomer because it's like, uh, okay, go back like a thousand years. I mean, I know, I know, statistically speaking, violence has gone down; it's sure. trended down, although sure. up in the last couple of years in the United States. Um, but overall, it's like we're not that much different than nope. archaic humans. No, nope. we're really not. No. Nope. And, and that's I, like that's very humbling. Like we should be very humble about the fact that we can fuck shit up really I mean, we're really good at fucking things up. Right. And we're not like I think if if an alien species gets anywhere, it's because they work together and that's why we don't get off this fucking planet. That's, like, <laughs> and that's why we don't care for the planet too. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. No, that that's I totally agree. But that's probably that's that has nothing to do with the Odyssey. Or no, it kind of does, but you know. Rab- rabbit trails, dude. Rabbit exactly. Trails. Well, cool, man. Well, this this has been good. Yeah. I, I'm, I've yeah, been enjoyed been the conversation, man. I have as well. Any last parting words? Uh, rate and review. No, I don't know. Yeah, please rate and review. Uh, leave yeah. comments if you if you have a better idea than what Matt and I just came up with, uh, or as yeah. we were ram- rambling, uh, you know, something was like, oh, hey, what about this? Leave us a what comment. About this? Please rate and review. Share it with your friends on social media. We yeah. appreciate it. You know where to find Keith and I. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can call uh, the hotline, 240-343-7379. Yeah. We just hijacked <laughs> that. So That's right. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, hit us up. If you have ideas on suffering, if you uh, have your own perspective, yeah. I'm sure you do. Absolutely. Or maybe you just have questions, so that's good too. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll take your questions. All right. We'll see you next time, Keith. All right, man. Take care, dude. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.